greetings, namaste, and shalom, everybody out there in dreamland. I am the beyond top secret Texan. Join me on my podcast, the Beyond Top Secret Texan podcast, where I explore the outer limits of human abilities, top secret military technologies, the reality of extraterrestrial Earth alliances, secret space wars, advanced cryptozoology, and all subjects of theosophic truth, esotericism, and the occult. Beyond the Top Secret Texan Podcast. Greetings, everybody out there in Dreamland. This is Rumors of Instinct. Thank you all. Namaste and Shalom. Iron sharpens iron, and a friend sharpens a friend. I sincerely thank every single one of you listening right now, whether you be a long-time supporter or a fresh, new-faced stranger in this strange land. Both the podcast world as itself the paranormal and and conspiracy theory podcast world, but also this strange world that we call sensory experience in this 3D reality. Thank you all very, very much for tuning in. Consider checking out my portfolio of previous works, my archive of episodes, if you're listening to this on a a podcast format, either through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Podcasts, or one of the others that I am proud to be hosted on. Um, you know, search those directories for previous episodes of mine, as well as consider giving me a follow, a like, subscription, download. Definitely helps out my numbers, helps me uh, improve my efforts, as well as motivates me into the future. I was going to say, though, that if you are checking this out on podcast, check out the YouTube channel, the Rumors of Instinct podcast YouTube channel, which has videos of many of the episodes and themes that I was working on and have spoken upon about uh, people's podcasts and interviews are, you know, it's always great to go back and check out the work that I did this past previous year. Over 200 videos, 300 videos in total, I believe, last year that uh, are there to be watched in full for free. So check that out if you have a curiosity or proclivity to do so. Highly recommend it as Rumors of Instinct podcast YouTube channel. Definitely follow me at the Rumors of Instinct Instagram official at Rumors of Instinct. Today I'm going to be speaking about the different close encounter classifications, their definitions, and providing examples therein. The CEs, the close encounter experiences which have been reported um, since mankind, you know, started taking records on these things about supernatural entities. This specifically relates to UFO phenomenon, extraterrestrial crafts, visitors, extraterrestrials, interdimensional beings, whatever you would like to define them as. This is something to do with lights in the sky, flying lights, um, 
and the occupants therein and their interactions with us, the observers. Now, because this is obviously a one-sided conversation where the observers are trying to make sense of this incredible and out, unbelievably wondrous event, miraculous event of actually coming into contact or being in the presence of something so mysterious, enigmatic, and awe-inspiring that to try to really, like, just break it down and be simple about it, it's a phenomenon of witnessing something which needs definition, which we, which needs a framework and an answer. Um, it, like any other phenomenon, like any other kind of events. And there has been much speculation on how to accurately define it and what exactly, you know, the implications are for each specific event. But regardless of those facts, behind-the-scenes facts, the actual reasons for it, you know, the science behind it, <clears throat> that you really get the fact that it's always a witness that is seeing it, like, homo- like hermeneutics or hermeneutics. Uh, the the postmodern idea of translating works of philosophical importance with personal experience and with personal perspective, looking inside oneself to seek the answers outside oneself that, that are presented, uh, either through works of uh, literature or through the works of philosophers, the works of great intellectuals like... Uh, the Stoics, for example, the Stoic speeches um, by the great Stoic teachers are only understood by your own personal experiences, providing you that moral compass that either justifies or aligns you with their intended words and expressions, thus val- validating uh, their interpretations of reality and incorporating them into a pragmatic, uh, you know, pragmatic usage for your own internal processes to control your emotions, your feelings, etc. When instead of stoicism, we have this scientific attempt at classifying the witnessing of paranormal phenomenon, of UFO, of UFO phenomenon, into different kinds. Literally, that that the stratification, the tiers, an analogy would be like the Fukushima scale for. Um, uh, Tornadoes, or I don't think it's the Fukushima scale for tornadoes. Let me actually clarify that. Hold on one second. Just going to find out the the Fujita scale. Sorry, it's not the Fukushima scale. It's the Fujita scale for measuring tornado severity for wind scale. Uh, it's the Fujita Pierce, uh, Pearson scale. Right, and instead of the Fujima scale, which starts from F10 and uh, or F0, sorry, and then works its way up to F5, then um, you know, F5 being the most severe, the UFO parallel to that, the scientific attempt at measuring and these events through some kind of metric of scale or of intensity. Uh, was created by, at first, by J. Allen Hynek. Uh, it was published first in his book, 1972, The UFO Experience, A Scientific Inquiry. 
Now, originally there were three. He classified them as kinds, right? So basically, there were three purely visual uh, anomalies, which would register as nocturnal lights, daylight discs, and radar visuals. Nocturnal lights, daylight discs, radar visuals. These were purely witnessed or observed phenomenon, either uh, of a craft or of a movement, or movements rather, not a moment, but a movement, um, while performing an observation of a sky, of the sky, either in a technical engineering data analytic um, fashion, such as, you know, working on a radar screen for the Air Force as an air traffic controller and seeing data correlating to something which was an unidentified uh, object, you know, in the sky that, that, that was witnessed, that was actually observed and tracked or recorded. The daylight disk phenomenon is a very strange one because the daylight disks, um, since they are very uh, ubiquitous, they're universal, um, get separated from, like, say, the black triangle phenomenon or the cigar-shaped uh, cylinder, you know, phenomenon, UFOs, uh, bio-organic UFOs, interdimensional UFOs. Basically, though, I think this is an extremely primitive, uh, you know, basically daylight sightings, nighttime sightings, so nocturnal lights and daylight discs, right? Exactly. It's a very primitive uh, difference between those two. One being simply that there was a light witnessed in the sky, either a nocturnal or a object with, you know, with or without lights uh, located in the sky during the daylight. And the reason for the difference between these two is because, obviously, there is much more obscurity during the dark darkness of the night, and uh, the untrained eye, you know, will not be able to make out any details or use it to scale or gather any kind of relevant information. Even a skilled observer would find it extremely difficult in testing to... Uh, actually make out things, you know, besides the most basic of details at night. Uh, you know, no doubt the flying orbs actually have vehicles, uh, you know, outlines and forms, but are they only represented by their lights? You know, the radar, the radar visual is much the same way, that even though in that one, that's more scientifically legit. But at the same time, there's no physical eye contact to the object because objects could be of a great distance away. So there's always a, you know, percentage of doubt. There's always a percentage of uh, mistaken identity or human error or machine error um, due to the fact that there is like a degree of separation of obscurity either between man and looking into the terminal looking into the screen uh, you know the radar returns um, or, or looking into the night sky in darkness and those two seem to be more alike than the daylight vehicle sighting so, 
you know, even though that they're originally, they still are considered three of the, um, because there's a six-fold sighting. Heineck has six-fold, but he has three, you know, original kinds, which are these three kinds, and then he added the, the actual first kind, second kind, third kind context. Heineck in 1972 created this simple threefold system basically to you know catch as many as possible separating either between daytime vehicle sightings nighttime light sightings nocturnal light sightings or radar visuals radar equipment visuals those were his three original catch-alls I believe that radar visuals and nocturnal light sightings can be considered um, more closely related than daylight disc, daylight vehicle sightings because of the added obscurity, because of the additional distance and mystery behind uh, the events. Daylight vehicle sightings are most akin to close encounters of the first kind. And that is where Heineck begins his system that he has called these close encounters. And the close encounters of the first kind are visual sightings of an unidentified flying object seemingly less than 500 feet away that show an appreciable angular extension and considerable detail. Now, that word salad basically boils down to visual sightings of an unidentified flying object that's within close enough distance that you can see physical details on the craft. Either uh, fins, fins, flight uh, panels, uh, patches, Rivets, bolts, you know, seam work on the fuselage, windows, um, you know, temperature variation, like, say, for example, fire or glowing, as well as, you know, the, the, the movements of the craft, clear direction where it's, where it's heading is, angle of attack, altitude, um, you know, dimensions of the vehicle itself. Because it happens within an amazingly close distance. You know, a point-blank sighting, basically. That's why I said the daylight disc sightings, even though they may be daylight sightings from, say, for example, a jetliner looking at the horizon and seeing a vehicle flying over, or a farmer looking out at the mountain range next to his property and seeing um, discs, you know, flittering, like, you know, making maneuvers about the uh, mountaintops, I believe that is, is, you know, obviously extremely closely tied to the definition of close encounter of a first kind, which is visual confirmation, clear sighting of an unidentified flying object or multiple unidentified flying objects, uh, maneuvering, you know, being present, uh, being physical, right, Being, being in this physical realm. And nothing else. It's that that's it. That's exactly it. the close encounters of the first kind is just a physical sighting of it where the account is then later recalled and depending on the level of detail, 
and the proximity of the craft during the time of sighting, whether it was right overhead, basically uh, flying low and slow enough to get, you know, a good, um, you know, a good, a good side of it, or whether or not it was flying across the horizon at an altitude of 30,000 feet or higher. Um, really, though, both of those are close encounters with the first kind in my book. In my book, that is close encounter of the first kind. If you've seen one at the edge of space while you were on, you know, sea level, and it was just a flitting object, but something that was moving very anomalously, or uh, whether or not it was literally close enough for you to touch it, you are making you are making eyesight with it. You are, uh, you know only taking away the memory of it it's not interacting with you it's not interacting with reportedly anything and it's passing is just that it's, it's a passing moment those are obviously the most prevalent close encounters those are obviously the most uh, uh, universal as almost everyone has sightings of those phenomenon uh, either nights, lights in the sky at night nocturnal lights are the daytime vehicle sightings and if you actually think and remember or get to speak to anyone who has seen them and and actually remembers them they can recall detail typically um recalling not only what kind of shape it was but the color the time of day uh how the thing moved speeds those are basic details Incorporated into a sighting. See, so when you see something, you're going to see it gauge its speed, try to make, you know, rudimentary details, its memory, its size, its shape, you know, uh, where it was heading, etc. That's basically the data received by the close encounters of the first kind. Close encounters of the second kind, Heineck wrote that he considered, he defines this as a UFO event in which a physical effect is alleged. This can be interference in the functioning of a vehicle or electronic device, animals reacting to the object, a physiological effect such as paralysis or heat, and discomfort in the witness, or some physical trace like impressions in the ground, scorched or otherwise affected by vegetation, or a chemical trace left over from the object as evidence on the scene. See, there's a huge difference between the close encounters of the first kind, which is merely a, a, a sighting with the accompanying testimony to the close encounters of a second kind, which is, in many regards, going into the realm of encounter. Because while you might say the first is, a, is, a, is just a witnessing of it, um, even including the the screen at night, the engineers and you know seeing it on a radar screen, the the people receiving the data of it, um, and I guess you would call that you know just observance with no real physical trace of evidence. Close kinds of second kind are everything where it, real physical evidence is acquired, like such a photograph or a picture, a 
impact with the surface ground objects or uh, infrastructure around it, um, such as damaging, you know, buildings or, or, or people or cars, you know, treetops sometimes. Um, I've heard being, being knocked off or singed. Uh, glass being superheated to be turned into, or in sand being superheated to be turned into glass. Um, it leaves some kind of evidence behind. If it was such that it landed on the ground, it would leave either impressions of its weight or, you know, radiation, trace level radiation. Um, comes to mind like the Zamora incident or the different like um, I believe it was uh, Falcon Lake you know where the, the, the man was actually um, able to interact with, with extraterrestrials I believe that kind of comes in later actually uh, that's the closing out of a third kind sorry so closing out of the second kind that would be basically uh, events where Electronics were interfered with, where people reported um, sudden power outages, uh, cars stalling, engines dying, um, animals reacting to it. So this is in some, in many ways, two or more witnesses included into the event, not let alone just the one, because the reaction that they would have would be evidence of such an event. Like, the the actual physical palpable reactions people get. It's not simply that it was a strange sighting, but it was a sighting in which people reacted instinctively to it based on its aberration and based on its uh, severe... realism it's a very reality um, for example if it flew past a diner full of patrons who were eating breakfast and every single one of them had a reaction to it you know and that, that saw it that actually had a physical reaction to it that would be a close encounter of the second kind but remember we we're just speaking about the UFO itself at this point. A very good uh, close encounter of the second kind would be um, what is the uh, going to blink it out right now, but I'll come back to it. See, Close Accounts of a Second Kind are one of those rare ones because everyone knows that the next one, Close Accounts of a Third Kind, based on the film. Close Accounts of a Second Kind would be like the Phoenix Lights. Where it flew over the city and was recorded by dozens of people and it had a lot of, you know, corroborating stories and witnesses you know, it's, a, it's effects were felt. The Laredo lights, for example, would be a good example of that. Close encounters of the third kind. 
UFO encounters in which an animated entity is present. And those include humanoids, robots, and humans who seem to be occupants and pilots of UFOs. This is where you graduate from merely having seen, merely wanting to believe, into someone who's verging into secret space program territory, who is actually having direct contact with extraterrestrials, ultra-terrestrials, beings from other worlds, beings from other times, uh, beings from other civilizations. Whether or not you're communicating with them or experiencing, because that goes into other kinds, which were later expounded upon. And I'll be getting into those in a few minutes. But this third kind basically proves where... There's always a doubt that the UFOs may be piloted by regular people, might be piloted by conventional occupants, conventional pilots. This is by far the most interesting part of the entire UFO um, phenomenon, the ufology uh, study, and that is the aspect of the intelligence that operates them, the intelligence that created them, the intelligence that uses them as the vehicles to travel. Um, because you are crossing the doorway, you're crossing the gate in which the UFO is the gate into the different the realm that is being fenced off, into the realm that is separated from you, through the gate of just simply observing the UFO, into the world of infinite questions and possibilities, where the simple fact of its reality does not solidify anything to certainty, but rather throws the entire world into a state of intelligently designed, uh, you know, perfect chaos, where not only is anything possible, but not, but everything is possible and, in fact, uh, very probable. No longer is it improbable. The impossible is extremely probable. You know, the impossible becomes extremely possible, inevitable almost. And so the third kind gets that great reputation uh, by having the movie delivered um, to us by, you know, the mainstream Hollywood machine. Um, And that film itself solidified kind of the higher expectations, the higher realms that the uh, the UFO phenomenon really presents to America. That is, it's not just lights in the sky. It's not just things you see and never see again. It is a world that when you start to investigate it becomes very, very real to the point that it's an obsession that does reward you and pay off with exiting a previous life into a new life. This one filled with those very same beings which were mysterious to you previously and are now an obsession to search for, to quest for, as well as to leave the world um, what you know, ignorant society, to step out of that darkness and into a light of people who not only share your same beliefs and sentiments, you know, your, your urges, your desires, but have their own experiences. So the people themselves 
are a reward. And the people themselves are as alien as the alien occupants of the UFO crafts. This becomes extremely obvious in the film when Richard Dreyfuss's character basically loses his family and gives up his family so that he can pursue the truth, which is the UFO landing on the military base in um, North Dakota or South Dakota on um, uh, the Devil's Rock and basically uh, the Devil's Tower and he meets this new woman who together have suffered this visitation from seemingly heavenly uh, authorities and powers forever changing their lives but together as you know gaining the destiny that lies beyond this earth into the stars above into the very heavens that they had first gazed upon and then witnessed this great unknown basically um that's what the promise of the close encounter of the third kind is is that when you are you are actually prepared to accept the reality of it it no longer is a question of if something's up there or what is up there but who is up there And of course, what are they doing? What are they like? You know, how do they make these things? You know, exactly. Th- those questions ultimately make up the great who are they question. Those are answers we- I have actually already, you know, gone over and given to this podcast. I have my own beliefs over that. I have obviously, my own experiences that add to the reason why I believe those are evidences. The communities that have formed up based on it, um, creating consistent accounts, these have served as a compass and direction. Now, Gene would actually provide these answers, but there are no certain answers, obviously. Yeah, nothing is, is set, really, uh, in the firmament, as it were. Now, the Close Encounters of a Third Kind have has actually many subtypes. Those many subtypes are known as Blocher subtypes. The UFO researcher Ted Blocher proposed six subtypes of the Close Encounters of the Third Kind and Hennick Scale. A, and he lettered them, so it's A through F. He lettered them. A is aboard. An entity is observed only inside the UFO. B, both. An entity is observed inside and outside the UFO. C. Close. An entity is observed near to the UFO, but not going in or out. D. Direct. An entity is observed. No UFOs are seen by the observer, but UFO activity has been reported in the area at about the same time. E. Excluded. An entity is observed but no UFOs are seen and no UFO activity has been reported in the area at the time. F. Frequence. 
No entity or UFOs are observed, but the subject experiences some sort of intelligent communication. Aboard, A, is a very interesting and what most would call the likeliest to actually occur if you are not, for example, already in the secret space program or an abductee, contactee, um, you know, etc. So basically, a board is best represented in the really, really famous Turkish UFO um, photograph photographs that were taken. Um, over a series of nights, actually, in which the craft would appear and reappear in the same area. And this craft had clearly visible occupants. It was being piloted by the Greys. And you could see up to three Greys looking through the front window of the of the UFO, what could be, what could be considered to be an observing observer deck of a UFO, straight at the people who were taking photographs of them once the photographs you know were processed and everything they were digital photographs taken from a very high telescopic lens but it's very clear that these greys are in the are occupying the ship there have been hundreds of such sightings throughout the years uh, many of which report uniform consistencies such as pilots with uniforms including grey pilots with uniforms and that the fact that these crafts are piloted very similarly to the to the way Earth crafts are, where they pilot, co-pilot, you know, type arrangement. You know, this is exactly why I said the most likely of situations, because it seems to be the most uh, bound by realistic expectations for piloting uh, craft, thus adding validity to um, the entire phenomenon if you are still in question or in doubt. Both. An entity is observed inside and outside the UFO. These are very strange cases. This is where, like I said before, the third kind is where you start getting into the realm of no longer are you observing, but you are now having to accept the reality of that great capital O other the other intelligence that is now, you know, in the same moment that you are, that you're sharing, you know, space and time with. The both encounter, very reminiscent, for example, of Billy Myers, when Billy Myers in Switzerland was visited by Venusian representatives, the Nordics, and they were calling themselves Pleiadians, and they would visit him both outside the craft and bring him in the craft, and he would witness how they would function both inside. Typically, there is a demarcation for those that are going outside the craft and those beings that are inside the craft. Typically, greys operate inside the craft. Venusians are, you know, able to travel exterior-wise. That's a very rare phenomenon. This is where they start getting progressively even more rare close. An entity is observed near to a UFO, but not going in or out. So the craft is seemingly stationary, seemingly on the ground. And a being is seen outside of the craft, 
but not going in or out. This, of course, is, you know, a very rare phenomenon to see. It has been reported on many times. But the odds of seeing that are extremely, extremely low. Usually accompanied by the fact that the witness was observed as well by the entities either in or outside of the craft. Deep, direct, an entity is observed. No UFOs are seen by the observer, but UFO activity has been reported in the area at about the same time. Flatwoods Monster. Best example um, I can think of right now, Flatwoods Monster was the case of lights in the sky descending into the forest. Um, many different witnesses approaching the objects thinking that it was a downed airplane and upon you know getting near the object needing the, the lights were in, confronted by a very tall mechanoid um, creature that was hovering and it was gigantic in stature it was hovering very terrifying intimidating and the Witnesses and ocup- witnesses that were directly on scene suffered psychological episodes, negative physical effects um, for days. Now, the definition of that sighting would be a direct because <clears throat> there was no direct vehicle witnessed at the scene where the Flatwoods monster was. It was assumed it was coming from the lights that had landed in the woods but it there was it didn't disembark it was not standing close to a vehicle the vehicle was not seen what was seen was this being it is assumed that's what i'm saying those direct sightings then are assumed to be attached to the unknown um lights in the sky sasquatch has a lot of sightings that fall under this category which is Close encounters of a third kind, D-direct, where an entity is observed after UFOs are seen in the area, but because Bigfoot already has enough legend and mythos surrounding itself that, that are not involved with the UFO phenomenon, the two are not immediately linked, but there's actually a growing uh, movement that's waking up to the fact that the Sasquatch of legend is actually a type of human being a cousin of man, a Denisovan, that actually has uh, UFO technology and is already in the Solar Ward and already in the Earth Alliance, and that it's not unimaginable to think that these were simply using the vehicles to travel or using the vehicles to, you know, deliver, etc., whatever the needs for their society are. You know, they were using them much like the same way we use our vehicles, you know, as intelligent beings requiring the, you know, the use of those vehicles. <clears throat> e. Excluded. An entity is observed, but no UFOs are seen, and no UFO activity has been reported in the area at that time. This is a very strange one, because many reptilians, many greys, are actually seen not associated with UFOs at all. Uh, the... The... Sighting of greys outside of a 
farmer's house or a doctor's house in the documentary Hellier comes to mind instantly. Um, as the the L.A. Los Angeles uh, reptoid sightings of the 2000s, and that is reptoids being seen in sewers, reptoids being seen in the woods, reptoids being seen um, in the city, but without any UFOs. There's no lights in the sky. There's no vehicles, they seem to come literally out of the sewers, or just be already in people's homes, or to be simply walking the, the city. Uh, the Greys and Hellier were reported to harass a doctor's property, approaching his house frequently at night to, um, you know, basically explore and attest his, to basically be on his property, and they took it some of his uh, belongings and including a dog and um, that's a direct contact he had direct sightings with these things he took photos of them he took footprints uh, measurements of them he tracked them back to what he suspected was their cave of you know where they lived their 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 shelter and uh, contacted paranormal investigators to go and investigate with them before he abandoned his property. That was the story of Hillier. Seeing gray aliens with no UFOs sighted, there were no mentions of lights in the sky, and they seemed just simply to be walking around. Uh, the Hopkinsville Goblins, for example, where uh, the family shot firearms at what appeared to be gray aliens by description, but they seemingly just kind of walked up to them. Exactly. There, were, they didn't work, there were no UFOs sighted at the same night. They simply just kind of walked up to them. Now, this states that extraterrestrials don't need to be seen with UFOs. Ultraterrestrials, other beings, cryptids. While it's implied here they are obviously of an extraterrestrial phenomenon, but that there are no real necessities for there to be UFOs. See, there's a UFO phenomenon, which is one thing, and that's what I've been trying to make clear. The, the UFO phenomenon is one thing, which the UFOs are not aliens. Aliens are not UFOs. UFOs are vehicles of different designs, different capabilities, different mysteries altogether. Aliens are the occupants of UFOs, presumed to be the creators of the UFOs, and seemingly always associated with them, but as you now have like just know that there is actually um, three um, different subclasses in the uh, Blocher, you know, six subtypes that specifically mention that aliens can be seen not entering UFOs, not flying UFOs not inside UFOs, like say if you were abducted and then you're in like an operating room and you see the aliens, um, but actually aliens just hanging out. The aliens on ground level, on the earth, in human society, uh, with no vehicle, they don't have a ride, they don't, they're, they're not, they didn't land and then you saw them exit, you see them just kind of on earth. It opens up a lot of possibilities, the whole world of it. Um, I've often said that the 
system that we exist in is the men in black system, you know, the popularized by the film men in black. And there are many different reasons why extraterrestrials and other types of intelligent beings would just be here, would just exist here like we exist here. See, with a Flatwoods monster, at least had the idea that it came from another world because its ship crashed and it was an unfortunate, you know, castaway or, or you know, uh, survivor. There is, or you have your classic, you know, where you see a cattle mutilation and then aliens are landing, exiting the vehicle, uh, performing the mutilation, then re- then returning back to it. These, the extraterrestrials at the very closest or just near the UFO, incidentally around where the UFO is spotted, or in the last case, E, just just there. As if though you were walking in the woods and you saw a gray alien, and the gray alien had no connection to any lights in the sky, nothing was sighted, there were no witnesses, there was no radar, nothing. It was just a gray alien on the ground hanging out when you saw it had been there, like say the Hellier case, native to that area, native to the earth. F is the last one, frequency. No entity or UFOs are observed, but the subject experiences some sort of intelligent communication. These are the strangest ones, and I feel like they need their own close encounter themselves, either a close encounter um, eight or a close encounter, you know, by itself, because uh, we'll eventually get up to seven. Now, before the list is done, there have been many cases around the world. Uh, the most popular and most uh, well known being the UMO case, the UMMO case, where individuals will be designated by extraterrestrial intelligences to be contacts on Earth, psychically. They'll come through either in dreams, they'll come through either in thought transmissions, psionics, what have you. They will enter your life, they will begin to communicate with you as a correspondence, they will... um, form relationships with you and then over a brief, you know, whatever extent or duration of this experience, you will have the uh, fortune of, co- of being in contact as an ambassador for the human race, basically, at some point. The UMO case, the aliens were extremely interested in art. They chose 13 individuals across Europe after a Norwegian freighter sent radio transmissions as a scientific experiment in the 1930s, they responded by communicating directly over the course of several weeks with these 13 individuals, um, asking them a series of questions, getting into a series of discussions with them, getting into a series of philosophical conversations. Ultimately, though, the idea of the communication is that it's strictly non-physical. It's strictly telepathic. It's strictly psychic. Over the course of many different experiences of this, I have personally heard of many different extraterrestrials 
choosing this method of communicating and exploring the solar system, as well as have begun to theorize that there are entire extraterrestrial species purely located on the psychic spectrum, purely located on the mental uh, realms. They only, or it's a type of intangible physical energy, but to us it appears as thought. To us, they can manifest themselves in the signals that we interpret as our dreams. But that deserves to be its own Close Encounter. Um, Close Encounter 8. Close Encounters of the 8th kind. Because, like I said, we're going to get into 7. So let's continue. Okay, and we're back. Let's continue now. Close Encounters of the 4th Kind. A close encounter of the fourth kind is a UFO event in which a human is abducted by a UFO or its occupants. This type was not included in Hynek's original close encounter scale. Hynek's erstwhile associate Jacques Vallée, sorry, Hynek's erstwhile associate Jacques Vallée argued that the Journal of Scientific Exploration that the fourth kind should refer to a case when witnesses experienced a transformation of their sense of reality so as to also include non-abduction cases where absurd, hallucinatory, or dreamlike events are associated with UFO encounters. The film The Fourth Kind makes reference to this category. So in these later stages of these close encounters, keep in mind that Gary Hynek in his 1972 work did not conceive of these experiences, nor did he have classification in mind uh, when dealing with these experiences, right? So basically, his scale ended in 1972 with the close encounters of the third kind, which means that there was just the presence of an animated occupant, an intelligence, uh, a being, um, regardless of that being, but or regardless of the actions or the encounters or the interactions, but there was a physical... Um, being that piloted that UFO and that was encountered by that person, which is why Blocher had to create six subtypes to include the encounters of the extraterrestrial where there were no UFOs or distant UFOs or only uh, tangentially related UFO sightings, but there were concrete evidences of extraterrestrial presences. Right, like I said, you saw a gray. No one saw a UFO. The gray was just hanging out outside. Right, so that, those were Blocher's. That was that was what Blocher was encountering when he was saying that Gary Hynek's scale was inadequate. So he created the six subtypes for the original six subtypes. Like that, I said that two of which uh, were more closely related to the first one. So I guess that was the nocturnal lights radar visuals, then you got daylight discs, and being close encounters of the first kind. Close encounters of the first kind being more strictly defined by the fact that it was of close proximity and the observer had actual details. Like actual details in the um, sighting that, you know, were of physical descriptions, physical details. Such as, um, um, 
angles, flight uh, control, uh, flight uh, services, things like that. Like actual details of light placements, shape, size, direction, heading, altitude of attack, etc., etc. Then you have your close guys of the second kind, close counters of the third kind, being third kind being extraterrestrials or present. This is is it expounded upon by the six subtypes, and now you have your necessities in pop culture, necessities in mainstream culture, the mainstream research culture. Seeing that that was too simple, that left too soon because there were more progressively intense encounters with extraterrestrials, with these, with this UFO phenomenon that that relate to the UFO phenomena, fall under it. That need better explanation. That need uh, stronger definitions, clearer definitions. Close encounter of a fourth kind is a UFO event which a human is abducted by a UFO or its occupants. That's why I said this is where the idea that the abduction is the abduction is not performed by the UFO. The abduction is performed by intelligent occupants within the UFO. The UFO at this point becomes a detail. A, a uh, major detail but ultimately it's about the abduction. It's about the experience of not only interacting with extraterrestrial, but then being subject to their experimentation, to their uh, agenda, to their, you know, actions. Neither negative nor positive, but to the idea that the human being was taken. The human being was taken aboard the craft itself. Not that the human being snuck on, not that the human being um, was was permitted access given given like a you know free ride and a hot cup of a hot cup of cocoa you know but it was actually a experience where the individual didn't have voluntary um, you know saying it the individual was going to go for the ride because the aliens were going to take them for the ride or the the beings were going to take them for a ride like the UFO is not abducting them the beings in the UFO are abducting people they are taking people they are coming down interacting with people choosing people selecting them um, you know, experimenting on them, etc. Close encounters of the fifth kind. A close encounter of the fifth kind is a UFO event that involves direct communication between aliens and humans. This type of close encounter was named by ufologist Stephen M. Greer in the C-SETI group and is described as a bilateral contact experience through conscious, voluntary, and proactive human-initiated cooperative communication with extraterrestrial intelligences. I know, right? So, once again, a lot of word salad. I'll read it again. A close encounter of the fifth kind is a UFO event that involves direct communication between aliens and humans. This type of close encounter was named by ufologist Stephen M. Greer, C-SETI group, and is described as a bilateral contact experience through conscious, voluntary, and proactive human-initiated cooperative communication with extraterrestrials intelligence. So basically, this is a choice. This is a voluntary communication with a willing human participant 
and UFO intelligences. Now, this is not purely a psychic phenomenon. This is a physical experience. This is a witnessable phenomenon by outside observers. A very... I mean, besides this, the CE5 cases, you know, like Stephen Greer presents, and um, the ranch, the ranch that uh, offers these CE5 experiences, I'm blinking on name, but there's a ranch that basically guarantees UFO sightings, extraterrestrial visitations, etc., um... The Osetti Ranch, I believe it's the Osetti Ranch. Um, but these people, these these prophets, these gurus, that can communicate with their psychic abilities to extraterrestrial intelligences and create benevolent, cooperative, you know, two-way communications between humans and UFOs that usually results in UFOs appearing physically, other witnesses witnessing said process, such exchange, um, and being able to do things like film it, being able to do things like record it, um, so that it happens with as much frequency as to be undeniable. Or it happens once, and, and it's a extremely you know fortunate event for that person. You know, everyone's different, but at the same time, the intention is that it's a voluntary, proactive, human-initiated, humans seeking it, humans calling for it, humans uh, invoking it, and the aliens answering in kind. The aliens answering our, our lead, taking our lead, basically. Close encounters of the sixth kind. Death of a human or animal associated with UFO sighting. This could be considered a more severe example of a second kind encounter. Channeling alien entities. Intrusion and parasitic attachment by extraterrestrial consciousnesses. This is where it gets kind of psychic. It gets more intangible, less metaphys- more metaphysical less physical phenomenon because when you channel alien entities when you are performing the CE5 level invocation to extraterrestrial intelligences and they answer but not only by appearing but by inhabiting you in by by sharing themselves with you sharing their knowledge with you in such a way that they can speak through you or act through you or decide to exist within you without the UFO presentation, without the physical second-hand observer being able to physically tell that something is, like some phenomenon is occurring physically, such as the appearance of a UFO, such as the appearance of an extraterrestrial, but that internally... The human being is becoming a vessel, a, a communication device, able to facilitate the communications between numerous people or parties or just that one individual and other 
extraterrestrial intelligences, races, species, not in the physical proximity of the area, but, you know, distance, distantly away. But those aliens are not physically manifesting themselves, not physically showing themselves, not physically providing, you know, objective evidence for themselves. But they are there in spirit, in psychic mind, in, in kind of essence. This is where remote viewing kind of um, comes into play. The idea of like the Montauk chair uh, on, on um, um, Montauk Island. You know, the idea that the mental realm, the Close Encounters of the Sixth Kind is the mental realm. Same time, the Close Encounters of the Sixth Kind has been reported as being the Close Encounter where death and damage to a human being occur due to their actions. That has also been a, a Close Encounters of a Sixth Kind definition for those that don't take into account channeling. If, they, if you don't view channeling as legitimate, if we don't view that as part of the extraterrestrial UFO phenomena, and you think that's more spiritualism, you think that's more uh, mediumship, you think that's more occult than actually uh, scientific or extraterrestrial UFO, uh, UFO um, you know, oriented. A alternative definition is close encounters of the sixth kind are encounters where animals or human beings are found dead or die due to the events of this incident, this exposure, this contact. Cattle mutilations, human mutilations, uh, radiation poisoning, um, insanity, I guess would it call for, to drug addiction. Um, basically, where the encounter with the extraterrestrial either leaves permanent physical damage not separating it, uh, separating this experience from your average abduction experience, because your average abduction experience obviously precludes survival and uh, an inability to really provide proof or evidence, physical evidence, that the UFO abduction experience occurs, even though there may be marks, implants, scars, uh, scoops etc, you know, the, the numerous different effects of abduction, the idea that it's, it's still not significant or serious evidence of an alien abduction. The sixth kind would suggest the opposite. This is extremely, you know, obvious because the person is mutilated. The person is dead. The person, for example, at the Burning Man of Brazil is hit with a beam of light from a UFO and then suffers such massive radiation poisoning that he melts, literally melts in the hospital bed, um, turning into a type of a jelly and goo. You know, I, it, these are medical phenomena which are witnessed, such as, for example, when um, the alien of Vagina, uh, I believe it is, Vagina, Brazil, when he, it was recovered, many people fell ill and uh, or the chupas from Brazil, which were lights that were reported to suck blood from people, and when they uh, hit you with a beam of light, would cause deep burns on on people's skins and in their clothing. That would uh, be a close encounter of the sixth kind, 
where extraterrestrials or UFOs are seen in the area and directly due to their actions, animals and our people are found murdered, dead, either through unexplainable con- uh, of, of means, like they either just drop dead, heart failure, or it's direct mutilation. This includes your cattle mutilation, your whale mutilation, your seal mutilation, your dog mutilation, your human mutilation. Basically, you see lights in the sky, things die. That's your six, that's your pleasant counts of the sixth kind. I would even suggest that is inclusion of the chupacabra phenomenon, where the chupacabra is seen as an extraterrestrial itself, or the UFOs are seen, and the goats and chickens are recovered later um, as evidence that this creature existed because it killed them. <coughs> now, finally, close encounters of the seventh kind. The creation of a human-alien hybrid, either by sexual reproduction or by artificial scientific means. This is, in many ways, the most disturbing um, close encounter, and it is very much in the realm of black-pilled ufology. This is a very advanced level, very... uh, hardcore reality level shit where you're talking about people with hundreds of abduction experiences um, you know thousands if not millions of people telling the same stories of being involved in fertility programs where their ovum, their sperm their eggs are removed taken by extraterrestrials and over the course of their life this occurs where not only this process occurs where they are harvested basically for their fertility stock, for their gene stock but they are presented with alien human hybrids they are shown generations of them growing they are shown um, colonization plans and efforts on the alien parts to uh, help educate and elucidate some of these relationships get really intensely emotional and intimate say for example the human man uh the being who would uh i mean the man who would uh one time he forgot the word for people (laughs) the the man who who painted um his affairs with gray hybrid women and wrote very extensive accounts with them like encounters with them and was shown his children and dare say it even fell in love with the gray that he thought he was constantly seeing again um the idea that it happens once you know like your abduction experience happens once compared to these other events you know really shows that there's is that there's there's so much of this phenomenon that's not being spoken about there's so much of this phenomenon that gets underreported simply because the phenomenon is so intense now, if you looked at it from a mathematical scale, like a pyramid scale, obviously this is like the rarest and, and most difficult to like find encounter. It does not preclude the fact that it, there are significant figures already in this population that have received this, this encounter already. At the same time, this is like the difficulties of the close encounter system is because they're all nuanced scales. It's not scales of severity. 
even though it does resemble a scale of intensity. Like Jacques Vallée said, close encounters of the fourth kind are any encounters that radically change your perception of reality and perceptions of yourself and perceptions of the universe and the world and of extraterrestrials, you know, the very definitions that you used to hold are now gone and replaced by this new experience and new encounter, right? It rewrites your reality, it rocks your world. The close encounters with the third kind, which would be seeing the extraterrestrial itself, should do that. If it's not enough, then any of these encounters are, are by definition, close to uh, that. By definition, encounters that can radically change rewriting uh, your entire worldview, your entire understanding of right and wrong in the cosmos, and what you knew to be uh, truth. Now, Vale, when he wrote about the non-abduction cases, where absurd, hallucinatory, or dreamlike events are associated with UFO encounters, and that being enough to change your reality, is very unique, and I kind of want to speak about that again. Especially when it comes to the idea of close encounters of the sixth kind, and close encounters of the... Um, um, third kind itself, with its many different subtypes. One of the stranger and uh, more consistent aspects of UFO abduction or UFO awareness are called screen memories. And one of the more persistent screen memories, for example, are giant owls. Gigantic owls. Owls of enormous proportion. Owls that are bigger than normal owls should be. Owls that do things that no owl should do. Like, look inside a car window. Uh, owls that knock on your front door. Owls that um, are in your house. The owls are not what they seem. This is where I was getting at with the Jacques Vallée thing. Is these absurd, hallucinatory, or dreamlike events. I believe that when Jacques Vallée was writing about this, he didn't have the concept of screen memories down entirely. I'm not saying he was a stupid man at all, because this guy is, a, is probably the greatest mind to have ever thought of and researched UFO, you know, realities, alien realities. Um, in fact, my only regret is I don't know everything that he's already written, even though I'm trying as much as I can to 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 read his own research. Um, whereas people he might have been interviewing, people he might have been talking to, they might not have known the idea of screen memories either. Um, they might have been resistant to the idea that they could be hypnotized or that this was even a reality, thus relegating it as they explained it to a fictional version of itself, where the incidences took symbolic meanings or, in fact, that there were um, elements present that just seemed too surreal for people who ultimately just could not uh, allow themselves to get a good grip of reality or were not, you know, they were impaired. They might have been disabled or, or impaired, um, not by their own devices, but by others. Um, you know, these memories did not create themselves. They could have been given these screen memories by the extraterrestrials who abducted them. The idea, though, that it's so radically strange... And it's such an intense experience of strangeness 
that it, that it basically invalidates the previous world order that you lived in and creates a new world order. A world order in which all the mysterious and unexplained events of this world now are no longer just stories. They're no longer things. Those are real existential realities. In a sense, everyone always says seeing is believing. But I think believing is seeing. Because if you don't believe in the UFO phenomenon, if you don't believe in the extraterrestrial phenomenon, if you don't believe in this, when you do see it, when it does occur to you, you can't comprehend it. And so your mind are there their minds are allowed to create for you a reality that is less strange than the sheer incomprehensibility of dealing with other intelligent life forms, such as, for example, these enormous owls, these owls of incredible size, these owls of incredible strangeness. is because even though it may never happen that an owl gets inside the passenger seat of your car while you're driving down the highway and then like makes you know like it begins a conversation with you that is more likely and, and that is more realistic because it's grounded into this earth than a great alien doing so And at that point, I just want to make a criticism for Jacques Vallée's fourth encounter con. Because just because you might consider it a hallucination or a dream, and that might change, a thing that changes your mind, the thing that changes your worldview, is the fact, is not the fact this happened. I'm sorry, it's, it's not the fact... It, it is the fact that it happened. It's not the fact that it's strange. It's the fact that it's happened. And that's where it goes into the fourth kind. That's, I think, why his definition is the fourth. Whatever makes you a believer should be the fourth kind. The close encounters of the fourth kind is an event that changes the non-believer to the believer. Because we can already assume that the non-believer by the first three close encounters has not begun begun to believe where it jumps to the, to the fourth encounter to the a close encounter of the fourth con where it jumps to that that's where the events are so intense that the unbeliever has to start believing I think that's a good spot to stop this news, northeast, west, south news, um, highlight and focus on this close encounters of the, the close encounters system. This has just been a, a you know, attempt at kind of reacquainting everyone for the, with the material 
and kind of uh, paying homage to the uh, legends of the field before Heineck, uh, Jacques Vallée. The many systems that have been created to try to create a scientific approach to this, a measured skeptical approach to it. And the complexities of the defining of the definitions of such. I want to speak a little bit more in the next couple of weeks about famous UFO sightings and why I think the most important UFO sightings are sometimes the most obscure. And why modern UFO sightings, even though they are present to be watched, are not as important as the classical ones, who may have less evidence and data on them, but have greater impacts culturally. Say, for example, um, UFOs that are seen 2021 with exposure online, to, rather than uh, UFOs that were seen in the 1950s, 1960s, etc., the different kinds of phenomenons that relate to that like, human overexposure. You know, the, the rise of neo-skepticism and the intentional disinformation that is CGI. But how alien experiences, real experiences, um, there's no substitute for that. be going into that a little bit more in the future coming up with the future episodes we'll be going into the uh, close encounters of the fourth kind close encounters of the fifth kind close encounters of the sixth kind and uh, you know close encounters of the seventh kind basically you know going into the more intense versions of it I speak a lot about the secret space program and I feel like that's it's it's over the idea of the earthly experience of seeing UFOs, the earthly experience of seeing extraterrestrials, but then allowed to go back to your normal life. Um, this may, though, be the gateway that a lot of outsiders need to kind of start introducing themselves to the concept of the secret space program, the real breakaway civilization, the real my lab phenomenon. Um, they control the secret societies and the military, etc., uh, would be to examine and then to interpret major, really famous UFO cases and extraterrestrial abduction cases in the perspective and lens of someone who's an experiencer of the secret space program, who knows the reality of the breakaway civilization, who knows the real truth of the cosmos, rather than the confused and skeptical outsiders. Personal update for me. I would like to leave this segment recommending some media, recommending some material to digest and to binge. I know in this world, regardless of what mysteries are there to fathom and what lands there are to explore, boredom and idleness sometimes raise their ugly heads in our lives. We find ourselves seeking just some mindless distraction or media, some new breath of entertainment in this otherwise stifled, you know, 
sauna of our own existence, some cool air in the sauna of our own existence. My luck has kind of, you know, proven itself once again as I found a YouTube channel called Windigoon that I am recommending to you now. Windigoons, that's basically W-E-N-D-I-G-O-O-N, Windigoon. He creates several different kind of genres of videos, but the thing he is doing that I think is entertaining and why I think his, his channel is actually kind of becoming an incredible success over because he's already into like the 200,000 mark, but I actually started watching him when he was only in the 800 viewer subscription mark. He's doing the Conspiracy Iceberg readouts. Now, real recognizes real. I don't need to, you know, live in a place of, of smallness. And I had the same idea, having been a, a fan of 4chan and their infographics and their icebergs around December of last year, where I was going to get the Conspiracy Iceberg and read the Conspiracy Iceberg uh, on Rumors of Instinct podcast or on my YouTube channel. Uh, I believe the first video I made was late December, and I made three three uh, versions of the same video, basically, because I was doing three different icebergs. And, uh, you know, it, it just turned out to be the same different things in each iceberg, but there were three different complete icebergs. Um, and I was going just to read them and do my best at explaining and answering, uh, the difference, different ones that were there. I was shocked, Im immediately kind of intimidated by the task because in three hours of recording, I got through, I think a total of one tier out of 10 tiers minimum, you know, on each one of these icebergs for conspiracy. And... You know, in my own defeat, I, I didn't want to return to it because it really is material that you could do 10 hours per tier and still not, you know, have enough to coverage of each topic sufficient, you know, to answer it or explain, you know, inquiring minds, at least, you know, for my taste. He has done it, though. He has done this. This was his mission that he set out to do. And he's done it extraordinarily well. I can, you know, celebrate his success because great minds do think alike. And I thought it was a good, you know, idea for videos. I thought it was a good idea for episodes. I think it's a good idea for the modern day computer savvy conspiracy theorist to recognize the fact of image macros and informational memes and such as the iceberg and to explain these, you know, to use these as talking points in their videos. I have been watching conspiracy YouTube videos since 2008. I have been in the conspiracy world all my life. Uh, you know, I was 18 in 2005, so it's not like I didn't see the internet YouTube type world arise as I was already an adult. And seeing that there are college-age people now in 2021 that are already raised with the ice, the conspiracy icebergs, already raised with, like, 4chan's X, 
uh, board, already raised with Reddit, already raised with um, social media, and they realize, or I realize, that their entry into the conspiracy world, their red pill, is the internet, is the documentary, is is this type of image macro, the iceberg, the uh, meme, if you were, the infographic, you know, this is how they're hearing about all these conspiracy theories first. Whereas a number of the times that I was really excited was watching amateur YouTube videos as they were speaking about conspiracy theories that were obscure. But reading real analog books, reading real analog things like uh, everything you've ever been told is a lie. Um, you know, behold a, a behold a pale horse by Bill Cooper. Um, hearing A and M radio or AM radio such as Coast to Coast AM. You know, those were the ways you would hear about conspiracy theories, or you would hear about these fringe subjects of of study first. And now, it's kind of extremely thrilling and emboldening and inspiring to realize you live in a world where you can download one image online for free and it would have hundreds and hundreds of legitimate conspiracy theories just the titles of them just summarized and that would be enough to literally springboard someone into niche internet fame simply by reading them. Which was what I had, because I'm not going to say I have, you know, blown up or I'm not even very popular yet. I'm still, in fact, extremely hidden and, and obscure and, and, you know, unpopular when it comes to viewership. You know, all stats considered, even though you guys are the greatest audience out there in Dreamland. You know, thank you all very much for your support. I sincerely... Uh, appreciate every single one of you. Um, but, you know, we are an elite, um, elite cabal of, of intellectuals numbering into the thousands, you know, at that, on a good day, you know, uh, at thousands. And, and no one's a due-paying member, let's just say that. No, no one's paying dues. If I, if I was, if I was making people pay dues, there would be no one in this hall, Right. And so basically, um, you know, you guys all came for the free cake, basically. You guys all came for the cake at lunch. Um, you know, like, I know how to get people on the seats, and that's free food. <laughs> free food, promise them a lunchable. <laughs> people will show up. No, but like, uh, that you can find the world, the internet is not dying. It's actually stronger than ever, and that there is going to be so many good conspiracy theorists coming out in the future. So many young and intelligent people who are coming from good places, who have good heads on their shoulders, good hearts in their chests, who are simply just reading and sharing their interests in conspiracy theories and in their... uh, thought processes, their inspirations from when they were seeing these things that you know, I think that in the next, I guess I've always said that conspiracy theories are the new rock stars but I believe that in the next five years to ten years, by 2025 2030, 
Conspiracy Theory is no longer going to have the image of old outsider. It's going to be young. It's going to be, you know, alternative. It's going to be like it was in the 90s. Where the society's ever-pressing need to differentiate and to define the energies which make up youth and which make up adulthood and a society where curiosity and intelligence are not rewarded that um, that internal conflict will manifest itself in an expertise in conspiracy theories and an acquaintance with radical media and an acquaintance with intellectual and emotional rebellion in a way that when I was growing up, when I was a young man, when I was a teenager in my 20s and, and you know, going through college, that was something that was not associated with the artistic uh, youth movement. That was not associated with the youth, mo- youth movement at all. Um, while rebellion was, awareness of conspiracy theories, awareness of... Um, alternative theories of reality, awareness of French theories of controversies was extremely rare. Um, you know, my generation did not know about the water-powered carburetor. My generation did not know about um, the UMO <laughs> incident. My, my generation did not know about Hollow Earth. My generation did not know about um, the secret space program. My generation did not know about um, you know, Operation High Jump or anything like that. But to see someone not only know about it, but upon making videos about it, succeed to get success, to get traction, it proves that it's not just two people or a person calling out into the void. It's a person calling out to the void and then having a thousand, you know, two hundred thousand people call back at him. And it, it's it's seeing that the void is not empty, but it's actually it's black because it's so full of people. They blot out the light. So definitely recommend Windigoon's Iceberg or Conspiracy Iceberg series. I definitely recommend him because he's an up and coming YouTuber. Uh, starting his channel last year. Many people started their channel last year in earnest, and I feel like that's going to be the next golden age for YouTube, even though YouTube seems to be dropping the ball about how to handle it and how to proceed. But these vloggers, these content creators that arose um, out of the 2020 lockdown and quarantine, myself included, because I seriously started making uh, videos in earnest again um, after a year of hiatus during the 2021 lockdown around March. Um, So, yeah, definitely, definitely have nothing but optimistic vibes coming from this one, and I highly recommend uh, checking out Windigoon. 
um, for some just gentle, easy listening conspiracy theory YouTube. And, you know, go over there, help him out. If you support this channel, you should support his. I'm not being sponsored to say this. And, and definitely, you know, he has much more of a following than I do. But I, in case you missed it, which, you know, exactly. How many times have you found or discovered or been recommended something that you kind of think, why did anyone recommend this before? You know, like even when I was still blowing up, like as a music, as a musician, someone in the music scene, that was always my kind of uh, big deal was, was finding bands and sharing bands and trying to, it was almost a race to try to see if you could find, discover music and share music before they ultimately became so famous that someone beat you to it you know that if you recommend someone a band and, they, and someone else had gone and recommended that same band before you then it's too late you know it, you lose that prestige and that cool factor this is my this is my uh, sad middle aged attempt to trying to get back that cool factor I guess and I'm going to be recommending this YouTube channel to you Windy Goon and definitely give you props to Windy Goon for for actually executing successfully an idea that I had thought about, you know, completely out of the blue, which is to read the conspiracy theory iceberg and to kind of have the commitment and the fortitude to do it and to do it well. Because I'll admit, I gave up. I admit, I thought it was a pipe dream. I thought this is just so much content and so much, uh, so much required reading and study. And it really was when I was going into tier two, I was having to look up and, and research a lot more. And that was the killing time because I was like, it's taking hours and days to research and to compile the notes, etc. That's just not my style. I kind of flow, I improvise and, you know, um, I rock and roll, I shoot from the hip. The, to actually read the iceberg conspiracy theories and have answers for it, um, that's a Herculean task, and, you know, I think in one of his videos, he even explains that he's got, a, he's a full-time college student, he has to do this, he has personal relationships, and, you know, his success is, is well-deserved, his success is absolutely well-deserved, and a rising tide lifts all ships, so if you like conspiracy theories, and people who are open to conspiracy theories, and, and, you know, he's a friend, so go check him out, definitely, he's a different, he's another Anon, he hangs out on 4chan, it's obvious, and, uh, you know, it's pretty inspiring that now as I enter my mid-30s, that someone in their early 20s would be, you know, basically walking down that, that similar path. But I see that the work that I was involved in earlier in the world that I saw kind of rise and fall has paved the way for people in the future to pick up those torches and to hit the ground running. Like I said, in my day, college students were not into alternative theories. They were not into conspiracy theories. It was not a friendly world for them, even if they were alternative, even if they were liberal, even if they were uh, counterculture. The fact that the internet has provided all the information and materials and research stuff there anonymously for free, it's really inspiring. It really, really gives me, you know, uh, positive vibes for the future that we'll be speaking to people you know, both young and old who are waking up. Waking up to the reality around us. Waking up to the sheer mystery and richness, wealth of uh, theories and wealth of possibilities that this world offers. So, Windy Goon on YouTube. Go check him out.
This has been Rumors of Instinct. You have listened to the North, East, West, South news. I have covered the close close encounter scale, originally written by J. Allen Hynek for his 1972 book, The UFO Experience, A Scientific Inquiry, expanded on by Ted Blocher with six subtypes for the close encounters of the third kind, A through F, Alpha through um, A A through F and then uh, close encounters of the fourth kind close encounters of the fifth kind close encounters of the sixth kind and close encounters of the seventh kind thank you all for taking this ride with me I absolutely appreciate every single one of you sincerely from the bottom of my heart tuning in check out my portfolio of episodes my archive of episodes both in podcast form and on my youtube channel rumors of instinct podcast on my on youtube you can check out the link tree that i'm going to post in the description box which leads to all my social media etc how to follow me i definitely am going to be using instagram as my facebook social media moving forward um so that's at rumors of instinct all one word for future episode updates project updates etc consider becoming a Patreon and donating as little as a dollar to begin gaining access to exclusive Patreon uh, perks as well as um, you know exclusive content that I'm going to be uploading there for your higher tiers your your specifically first looks into documentaries I'm going to be producing um, rough cuts that are going to be available for watching as well as uh, lives which are going to be exclusive to the Patreon um the rumors of instinct patreon thank you all very very much namaste and shalom iron sharpens iron a friend sharpens a friend rumors of instinct signing off